Hey, tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We are also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we thank Hotel X for this latest episode as we recap 2023 Roland Garros and happy to bring on first-time guest and friend Vivek Jacob of CBC Sports. Also find his work on raptors.com. Vivek, thanks so much uh, for joining us after an awesome two weeks in Paris. Well, thanks so much for having me. Vivek, it's always exciting for us to have like a first-timer on the podcast. This is your first time with us on Matchpoint Canada, correct? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Yeah, awesome. Well, we've been following you on Twitter for a long time. I know off air you were just mentioning our run-ins at the uh, Rogers Cup, now National Bank Open, but great to have you here. And and I think I'm going to lead off with just what we were sort of talking about off air there, which was, and you know, before we worked in the industry and covered the sport, we were fans of tennis first and foremost. And so I don't mind saying that for me, it was Roger Federer that I was, you know, really into. And and for Ben, he, he hasn't hidden the fact that it was Rafa Nadal. And, and you were mentioning to us that Novak Djokovic is is the one that sort of captured your uh, tennis heart, so to speak, uh, before covering the sport. How did that come to be? And and obviously, I guess you must be pretty happy. That tennis fan that's still inside of you must be pretty happy with how things played out, I guess. Yeah, super happy. I mean, for me, I think going back, I used to be an Agassi guy and I loved Agassi because of his return game. Um, and then, you know, there was sort of that in between where, I don't think I was super attached to anyone. I kind of was just like enjoying the game, watching the game. Um, and then when Novak came uh, came around and I saw his return game, I was like, oh, this is my guy. Um, and, you know, especially, you know, if you grew up at that time, you watched kind of all the great, you know, serve and volley guys and you were watching guys like Patrick Rafter and Goran Ivanisevic. Obviously, Pete Sampras was the GOAT at that time. And so uh, for me, I kind of, tended away from that um obviously we know now that Djokovic has improved his serve to a point where he's pretty incredible with that too but um yeah I think that's what got me really into him at first and then also his personality back then like the impersonations and uh you know with the the Rafa Nadal impersonation the Maria Sharapova impersonation uh all of that uh really just made me a big fan and uh kind of to be where it is now um you know this was another thing Uh, I was talking about with my friends was like, I remember when he won his first, I didn't just want him to be a one slam wonder. And so when 2011 came and he got to two, three, four, I was like, okay, I was almost content. I was like, okay, you know, he won't be just remembered as like a small guy. He's won multiple (laughs) slams. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. And now look what he's done. Yeah, exactly. 23 of them. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that we all have different perspectives and I mean, at least I had my time where Federer was doing his thing and and for Ben, there's still that hope, obviously, that Nadal comes back and, and can recapture some of that former glory. But you're in it right now, which was super exciting as someone in a, a you know, from a Djokovic perspective. Um, I, I got to say, I was more the serve and volley when I was a kid. That's who I gravitated to. And so grass court tennis for me was was always my big kick. So I'm super excited. We're almost on the cusp of that. Um, but I'm going to save it for next week's episode, Ben, because I know we're okay. wrapping up the, the clay season here. I'm going to restrain myself. Yep. Um, but Vivek, among the four slams, where does the French Open rank for you personally? Honestly, this is a really interesting question because I I do find it frustrating when people kind of knock down the French. Um, I think especially on, you know, this side of the ocean, uh, I feel like North America kind of gives it an unfair shake. Um, and I value it extremely highly. I, I think I've 
you know, some of the matches I've enjoyed the most have been uh, at the French Open. And so uh, I think it's super important. I think some people kind of say, hey, you know, we see the hard courts the most and Wimbledon has their tradition and that's where you kind of knock down the French. And I'm like, well, you know, if, if we're if you want to argue, you know, which surfaces are played on the most, then that would make grass the least valuable. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the logic doesn't really check out there. Um, and so I think for me, you know, clay uh, is super important across the globe. I mean, even when you look at uh, some of the guys who have come up and become goats, I mean, Novak, Andy Murray, Rafa, they've all grown up on clay. And so, you know, even the value of that in terms of becoming the players that they've become, uh, I think it's very difficult to knock down uh, clay and the French open in that regard. Yeah. And I've, I've always felt it's the most physically demanding of the three surfaces in, in the sense of these long sustained rallies, which are, are nonstop and you can get incredibly long and grueling matches. And look, it's, it's interesting, you know, Novak Djokovic winning semifinals and finals against his peers who are so much younger that maybe you're thinking the physical edge might be on the side of a 20-year-old Carlos Alcaraz as opposed to a 36-year-old Novak Djokovic. Same thing in the finals with Kasper Ruud. Uh, but Djokovic, again, he seems to manage his his mind and his body better than anybody I've, I've really ever seen. And now he stands alone with 23 majors um, just, just what did you make of maybe how he navigated these, these two weeks to, to get to the finish line? Yeah, I think it was always going to be interesting because of, you know, the last couple of years, the time he's that he's had off. Right. And so you're wondering if he's had the appropriate, appropriate prep, um, and, you know, did missing out on Indian Wells and Miami impact him in any way? You know, I think when you go back to last year's defeat to Rafa Nadal, uh, some people were kind of like, oh, you know, the way he kind of was taken out of it physically, we saw him in a way that we hadn't before, you know, to me, that was just like, you're going up against Rafa, that's going to happen. You know, Novak has talked about, you know, you got to put your heart, your guts, everything out there to get past him, especially uh, at Roland Garros. And um, I think this time, uh, he, I don't think he ever looked quite in peak form. Um, but I just think he's at that stage now where he knows what he needs to do in a given situation. Um, and I know we're getting going to get into the tie breaks and I think those things embody, you know, exactly him knowing what every situation demands, every bit of gamesmanship that you need in certain moments, whether, whether it's a medical timeout, whatever it might be. Uh, and then he's able to pull through. I'm astonished that I, that I still, I don't want to say fall for it. But that I'm that I'm watching the first set against Casper Ruud, and I was like, he's looking a little physically not not hampered, but he he doesn't look physically his best. Maybe he's in some kind of trouble. And then a, a switch just flips. And if we talk about the tiebreaks, I mean, some of these statistics: he went six and zero this tournament uh, in tiebreakers. He won 42 of the 55 points played, and then 17 winners, zero unforced errors. I mean, that's. That's flawless tennis and just his ability to channel his best at the most crucial moments of matches. I I feel like this has been Djokovic's superpower through his career. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think about Michael Jordan now and, you know, he had the three-peat before he had that, you know, little break. And everyone in that moment kind of recognized him as the best player ever. 
And I think Novak already had that stretch, right? And I think now because of, you know, Rafa not being around as much because Roger Federer is out of the picture, he has this advantage in terms of the experience, in terms of the tactical know-how of a best of five, which we saw in full spades against Alcaraz, that even though that peak level isn't quite there, he is so much smarter and more tactically efficient than everyone else on the tour that when it comes to a best of five, to me, there's still a gap between him and the rest. And now he's got that 23rd uh, Grand Slam title, which again, just boggles my mind. I was talking to someone earlier today about Pete Sampras. Like when Sampras got his 14th, I thought, whoa, what a number. Yeah. And it seems so small and like, I don't want to say insignificant, but like when you got those three guys now and, and one of them, we just keeps now adding to that total. My goodness. It's, it's just unbelievable. It's hard to really even, even verbalize what it all means. But uh, you think there's any chance that Rafa can, uh, you know, make it somewhat competitive in that grand slam counter at this point, is it kind of a, a foregone conclusion that Novak is is going to run away with it, do you think? Look, I would love to see, you know, one more Rafa Novak showdown, uh, you know, as a tennis fan. Like, uh, that's been the matchup for me. I have loved watching that matchup. Um, obviously, I think the best we've seen of it uh, of late would be, you know, that 2018 Wimbledon semifinal. Um, I thought that was absolutely incredible. Uh, and... Uh, if he can come back and, you know, I'm sure, you know, as competitive as he is, he will want to come back. And that's basically what he said. He wants to come back competing for trophies. And so can he win one more French Open? Absolutely. The man who's won 14 French Opens, I'm not going to say that he can't win another French Open. Um, as long as he comes to the French, he will be the favorite. Um, he, he could retire for 10 years and say he's coming back to play and I will put him number one <laughs> to win the French. Um, I, I think... Uh, the other slams are where maybe the question mark is raised. Um, maybe, you know, if he's freshest for the Australian Open, maybe he can make a good run there um, and, and you see from there. But uh, if he's got one or two more in the bag, I would still say that Novak um, clears that. I, I think Novak's got a ways to go. I actually, um, when 2021, when Novak was... Um, on the verge of a calendar slam. Um, I said that I think Novak is going to end up doubling Pete Sampras's number. Um, and I think that is still going to be the case. He doesn't uh, look which, like he's which slowing seems down. Insane. He doesn't look like he's slowing down at all. Looks so fit, as you guys were mentioning a few moments ago. It's it's scary, really, if you're one of those other players who's thinking, hey, I think our time is is coming now. And and then Novak just you know squashed that one you know pretty definitively with how he's played in Paris the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I was going through your tweets earlier, uh, you know, as I often do before we have a guest join us. And by the way, at Vivek M Jacob on Twitter for those who want to throw him a follow. You, you tweeted recently about watching the the final back at your parents' place uh, where you first watched Novak gain the number one ranking 15 years ago, and that you were back at your parents. I think this weekend watching the finals there too. So you're getting. I was getting like nostalgic vibes just relating to that as, you know, sometimes I'm back at my parents' place. And and again, it kind of throws me back to when I was, you know, not necessarily a kid, but when I was younger and watching there. Um, I'm just curious, what got you hooked on tennis in the first place? Because you cover a lot of different sports. Ben and I are, are a little bit more, you know, um, tied to tennis. It's a, it's, a, it's a monogamous relationship we have with the sport in some ways. But, but you see a lot of different sports in, in your line of work. 
where where does tennis rank for you among all the sports that you cover? Yeah, honestly, uh, tennis was the first sport I played because my dad used to play and uh, it was something that he used to watch a lot. And uh, we grew up in Dubai. So I remember he would get tickets to go to the Dubai Open back then and, you know, watching guys like Thomas Muster and, um, <laughs> you know, it, we really enjoyed those experiences. So that's where my love came from. Um, I used to love watching Steffi Graf growing up. Um, she was one of my favorites, uh, of course, you know, <laughs> and then she ends up marrying Andre Agassi. So <laughs> I had two of my favorites getting together like that, which was cool. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I think part of the attachment comes from the fact that, you know, growing up on that side of the world, um, outside of soccer, a lot of people gravitate towards the racket sports. Um, and so, um, I think tennis was just like very natural for me. And then obviously like being Indian cricket is huge. Uh, that'll always be number one. Um, but yeah, tennis is, is right there. Well, uh, we'll touch on the, on the women's side and Igish Fiontek. I mean, we, we at least predicted this correctly going into the tournament. We felt like she was certainly the favorite to take this title and, and captures her third French open fourth major overall now four and O in major finals. And when I watch her on clay, just relative to the rest of the women's tour, uh, I mean, maybe maybe it's fitting that Iga's favorite player is Rafa because there there does seem to be like a gap, especially at Roland Garros when she hits these courts. She looks like such a dominant presence and always always in control. Uh, apart from a brief, you know, set in a bit in the final, uh, how impressed are you by uh, I guess the the current world number one that she continues to to dominate this way. Yeah, I think she's absolutely special. I think the stat that said, you know, she's the youngest of four majors since Serena Williams says it all. Like she's 22 and she looks like, um, you know, she is someone who still has room to grow. I, I think that is kind of the scary part. And it's like, yeah, it feels definitely like there's this big three now with the way Sabalenka is playing with the way uh, Rybakina has come along. Uh, and so I think, with those three, it's going to be an intense competition. Um, watch out for my girl, Anzra Bora at Wimbledon. But okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I do think uh, that uh, Shriantek, if she continues to improve, um, you know, especially on grass, uh, I think that is the type of thing that could take her then to, you know, you start thinking about like double digits in terms of slams. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I'll ask a question about uh, our Canadian women, uh, specifically Leila Annie Fernandez, because I know you had a chance to do a feature piece on, on her back in 2021. That was before that U.S. Open finals run. And you've spoken to her her father and coach as well. I know things haven't maybe clicked the way they want to on the single side this season, but she and Taylor Townsend make, you know, such a strong pairing and doubles making the finals here and, and currently on pace to, to qualify for the end of year finals how much do you think maybe that that double success can can just help her along this season to even find her groove a little more in singles I think it's super important and you know conversations that I've had with Jorge Fernandez her father and coach about it uh their line of thinking is that hey we want to see Layla get to a point where she's consistently getting to tournament finals and so we don't want to be in a situation where we're at a tournament where she loses in the first round, second round, and now she's got no match practice, right? 
And so by staying in the doubles for all these events, you continue to maintain that intensity of a real match. And so uh, I think getting to a doubles final is super important in that light, um, get, going as far as she can. And I think Taylor Townsend is really good for her as well, because uh, I think, you know, a lot of times when we talk about doubles, we just talk about the chemistry on court and, uh, you know, what the communication is like and, you know, what that looks like. But I think even at the end of this match, when you look at Taylor Townsend sort of go to her and um, give her words of encouragement, um, and, you know, to tell her to stay strong and things like that. I think uh, those are good things for Layla's personality, because I think she is someone who is extremely hard on herself. Um, and, you know, I think maybe sometimes you do need to kind of sit back and realize, hey, I'm, I'm a 20 year old. I've done some pretty incredible things with my career so far and probably ahead of where most people would have projected her to this point anyway. It's true. And uh, I think Taylor Townsend is yeah a great partner for her specifically for her growth and, and, you know, someone who's been through it a little bit longer, a little bit more. And, uh, you know, it's funny, we spoke with Layla Annie earlier in her professional career, and she would talk about how sometimes she had trouble finding practice partners or a partner to double up and, and play doubles with and tournament draws. Well, that's clearly never going to be an issue for her again. I mean, if yeah. her and Taylor weren't playing together, I bet you there'd be a dozen other women at a tournament who would be trying to grab her as their partner. And, uh, yeah, so impressive what she's achieved already, both in singles and doubles. And like you said, only 20 years old. So, um, you know, many people would love to be in that position and have already accomplished what she has in their entire careers, let alone by the age of 20. So, uh, Vivek, thank you so much for, for joining Ben and I. This has been like a super awesome conversation. And I, I think it goes without saying, we'd love to have you back on Matchpoint Canada again. So I hope that you will uh, oblige us and come back and... Uh, chat with us again later at, at some point i was really happy to make my debut always happy to talk with you guys and uh you know love the show it's really appreciated uh there he goes vivek jacob of cbc sports and raptors.com and uh, now a word from one of our sponsors looking for the perfect urban getaway for your next family vacation look no further than hotel x toronto the city's premier urban resort with its state-of-the-art fitness facility 10xto and four indoor tennis courts, there's something for everyone in the family. But that's not all Hotel X has to offer. With luxurious amenities from the rooftop pool to the award-winning Guerlain Spa, from the 250-seat cinema to the three-level sky bar, there's so much to see and do all under one roof. Whether you're visiting Toronto for business or pleasure, Hotel X is the perfect choice for families and individuals alike. Book your stay today at Toronto's only urban resort. Hotel X Toronto, experience the extraordinary. And if we just circle back, I, I mean, we, we touched on number 23. It still still sounds mind-boggling, I know, to you, hearing number 14 for Pete Sampras, which was the gold standard at the time. Roger Federer, when he surpassed that, that was the new untouchable gold standard. And Novak Djokovic just keeps going and going. I wanted to touch on, the. I mean, the fact that Carlos Alcaraz was our pick going into this tournament. And look, he, he had a great tournament. Uh, he was really, really strong those first several matches, particularly in the quarterfinals, the way he dismantled Stefano Tsitsipas. But for him to, I guess, break down physically after two great sets in that semifinal against Djokovic, 6-3-5-7, and then his body completely cramps up and he, he drops the third and the fourth, 6-1-6-1. Is there you know, some kind of problem going forward there that maybe Alcaraz and his team have to look at because if there's one knock on Alcaraz, you know, and I'm really searching and digging, it's 
injuries and cramping. He missed the Australian Open at the front end of the year with the right leg injury. He missed the ATP finals at the end of last season with an abdominal tear. And now we have uh, cramping and a huge semifinal match. I, I think this will be a real um, learning moment for Carlos Alcaraz. I don't expect something like this will happen again. And hey, if we want to look at the guy that, that beat him, Novak Djokovic, what he was like when he was younger, he had some real issues also yeah. in terms of how he was performing at the majors. I mean, I, I don't have the stats in front of me, but I think at least at three of the four majors, he had to withdraw mid-match or retire because of cramping or physical distress that he was experiencing. There was the breathing and stuff like that. If you go way back, and, and I think a lot of the questions you're asking right now about Alcaraz and the people are posing about how Alcaraz physically responded to this moment are very similar to what Djokovic was facing earlier in his career too. So I think it's part of the learning curve. Uh, best of five is clearly a much different animal. And the other thing, you know, that maybe didn't get talked about enough is, is the nerves. And you might not think, well, he's the number one player in the world. What could he possibly be nervous about? But this is a big stage. You know, whoever wins that semifinal match is going to be heavily favored in the finals. He realized that he's going up against a guy in Djokovic who he's been watching since he was a, a little kid. You can imagine how the, you know, and, and he's at a tournament where Nadal, you know, his fellow Spaniard Nadal won all those titles too, and he wants to follow in his footsteps. So I think you can kind of appreciate how the the nerves might have crept in and how that plays in potentially to the cramping, you know, as well. Maybe you're not hydrating as much, you're, you're overthinking things. And so I, I think that's an element that deserves, you know, some um, some focus as well. Yeah, that that's a very good point. And and one thing, one element that uh, the big three era has, has been a bit of a beneficiary of that we kind of forget about with this generation is in years past, uh, you know, 2005, 6, 7, 8, back then, we used to have Masters 1000 finals that were best of five. We used to have ATP finals matches that were best of five. And I think that experience, like, uh, Davis you know, Cup, Davis Cup, too. Davis Cup, best of five as well. So that all that experience, I think, you know, cumulative over time for someone like Novak Djokovic. And we highlighted this. Nobody knows how to manage the moment and that length of match better on tour than him. And now without without Nadal, and without Federer in the picture, I mean, those, those two, of course, could do it incredibly well. Now you look at who, who's left. Who has that best of five experience that he has? And we have well in terms of winning, anyways, right? Like in terms yes, of winning, sustained right. success in, yep. in best of five winning Grand Slam tournaments. And as we all know, over the last fifteen years, there aren't aren't many people who who've been able to do it. So you mm. know, now we head into the grass court season. He's going to be the heavy, heavy favorite at Wimbledon. Djokovic, that is. Yeah. And then maybe we're going to be finding ourselves at the U.S. Open talking once again, like we did a couple of years ago. Oh my goodness, is he going to pull off? the calendar slam and and we kind of thought when that opportunity you know went by him a couple of years ago well that was it that was his chance maybe not maybe this is going to be you know as much of a chance as he had then yeah and and as as you highlighted uh, i mean we he wasn't the odds on favorite for roland garros i i don't care if he loses two three lead up grass court matches doesn't play one he is 100% hands down the big favorite at the All England Club where he's completely dominated the tournament and hasn't lost there since uh what 2018 2017 was the last time he lost a match there oh I mean you're talking unreal. about a, a span of six years I uh, just want to point out by the way very classy from Rafael Nadal I mean it was one of the first congratulatory tweets actually that came across my feed after Novak won uh, that he said many congrats on this amazing achievement 23 is a number that just a few 
few years back was impossible to think about and you made it enjoy it with your family and team it, it was a number that was impossible to think about and as vivek highlighted i i mean this number can easily keep growing maybe 28 is is feasible that's his prediction yeah and you know the only thing i have um with with comparing to like sampras let's say for example the only the only disappointment I have is the fact that I feel like kids growing up today or, or ones who are younger, you know, to the sport and, and following the sport, they're going to look at that number 14 next to Sampras and they're going to be like, well, he wasn't that great. You know what I mean? But it, right. it's so hard. You go back to that time and, and he was the man and that was such an epic yep. record at the time. And, and Sampras was the most dominant player of his era. So it's, uh, you know, these three have made us kind of reevaluate, uh, you know, how everything before them looks uh, on paper but uh you know that was a terrific era of tennis as well you just had more people at the table sort of dividing up uh, you know what was there to be consumed uh so to speak yeah and it, and it's always and, and Djokovic highlighted this in his press it's always so so difficult to compare eras before we go back to women's side we should talk about uh the runner-up again Kasparu getting back to the finals of Roland Garros I, I think is such a big achievement for him after a lot of people wrote him off honestly going into this tournament I, I he wasn't among my top five contenders so I'm guilty of it too but to get big wins firstly it started in the quarterfinals beating Holger Runa and honestly beating him quite handily in four sets dismantled Sasha Zverev in three sets and I thought you know, considering how he did in the final last year to Rafa, I thought he had a pretty decent showing in this one. Very competitive first set, which he he could have won if a couple things went his way and and still hung around in the third set and gave a pushback where it, it did look like Djokovic was cruising to that victory. Yeah, the third set, he got my hopes up. I'm like, OK, maybe we're going to get a tie break. Who knows what can happen there? Maybe he can at least get one set. And then, of course, you know, Novak breaks him at love to go up 6-5. And you're like, oh, yeah. my goodness. Well, there goes that option. Uh, but look, the guys made three of the last five slam finals, which is remarkable. I don't think, you know, anyone saw that coming. Um, you know, bridesmaid now, you know, or, or yeah, the bridesmaid, always the bridesmaid, never the bride, that kind of right. thing. Like, when is he going to get his chance? Maybe. Who knows? Who knows if he will or not? But showing some real consistency at the majors. And, yeah, he did come in as... I mean, when I was writing my preview article for the tournament, I almost wrote him down as a dark horse. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. He's a top five guy. Yeah. But because of the fact that he was coming in, you know, without any real momentum on the clay, that's why I was thinking of him along those lines. And and sure enough, he he played the best when he needed to and, and made it to the finals once again. So tip your hat to him. Uh, fantastic stuff from Kasper Ruud. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, a couple more things on Iga Sviantek, uh getting her third role on Garros title and fourth major overall. She's now 4-0 and in Grand Slam Finals, which is an incredible feat on its own. She's one of eight players in the open era to win Roland Garros three times. And uh, first players to win their first four major finals in the open era. I'll just run, run off the names that she joins here. Roger Federer, Monica Seles, Naomi Osaka, and now Iga. So this is pretty illustrious company. Yeah, she's kind of put herself in a different echelon to me, right? Like she's gone beyond Muguruza and Halep and Kerber, who had mm -hmm. two, two and three slams, respectfully, um, you know, uh, each of them. And uh, and here she is now with four, same as Naomi Osaka. And, and more to come, you'd have to think, with her young age and her, you know, as she said afterwards, she just wants to continue to, to get better. Oh, my God, if you're another player on the tour, that's the last thing you want to hear is that she's just hungry to continue improving so you know queen of clay i don't know if it's too soon to uh, anoint her with that title uh but she's certainly the most comfortable person on that surface and 
And even though, you know, there was the final against Sabalenka that she lost in the lead up, um, you know, when it mattered next level where Sabalenka to me, um, you know, I think did well to get as far as she did in the draw, but at the same point kind of revealed, oh yeah, right. Clay's still not really her thing, you know? Yeah, and uh, you know, I think she she succumbed to the pressure a little bit in that semifinal. She had a match point against Muhova, who wow, what a tournament for her! And she rallied from two five down in that semifinal and played an amazing final. Uh, nothing against Iga, by the way, but I'd much prefer a final like that as opposed to the previous completely one sided finals she's had in the past. And in major championships, for Muhova to take a set off her is is a great accomplishment. And she's someone, by the way who has made an Australian open semi and she's made the quarterfinals at Wimbledon twice. So, uh, you know, she basically missed a big chunk of 2022 due to health fell out of the top 100 for me. She's kind of like top 15 quality talent, I think. Yeah. When healthy, I would agree with you. And and I love seeing that run. And, you know, I didn't certainly didn't have her, uh, you know, going to the final, but I, I did, you know, foresee a potential upset against Zachary. And mm-hmm. even when she went into that semifinal against Sabalenka, I thought, you know what, this is, to me, this is like a 50-50, not whatever the odds were, what people were yeah. saying. To me, it was much closer than, uh, than you know, what uh, what we saw at face value. And and that's because of the talent that she has. And and this could, you know, hopefully buoy her to get back to the the upper echelons of the women's game and, and just another wonderful name to to throw in the mix there. I mean, the women's game, I, I love watching it. I've, I've never hidden the fact that I kind of lean more towards watching women's tennis. I enjoy the the back and forth, the unpredictability, the the less of the reliance on the serve as a, a factor on the, you know, the faster speeded courts anyways. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm stoked to see, you know, where she goes next from here. But you have to imagine that this is just going to keep her confidence going and, and, and reaffirm to her that she belongs at the top of the women's game. And you must be thrilled because you were talking about it, that grass court season is officially beginning and, and already underway. And how amazing is it that we have former Wimbledon finalist Milos Raonic back in his first tournament in, you know, almost two years as he's slated to play Miomir Kekmanovic in the first round of Hurtagenbosch using a protected ranking. Uh, so Milos is back. Perfect surface for hi- him to return. Maybe expectations for his first tournament in uh, since 2021. Yeah, I don't even care what happens. I'm just so excited to see him back on the court. I got to be honest. I can't wait to see that serve. You know he's going to be throwing down some bombs. Uh, oh, yeah. Looking looking at his Instagram and, and social media pics that people have been putting out there of him in the lead up to this tournament on grass, he looks fit, mm-hmm. like really fit. And that hasn't always been the case for him. Um, I, I mean, he's as lean as I've ever seen him. He's not carrying any extra weight. I mean, the guy's got a big frame, right? He's a tall dude. He's a, a big guy, but he looks as fit as I've ever seen him. And I know he wasn't rushing to get back here. He was only coming back when he knew he was absolutely 100% ready. So you got to imagine he's been playing some killer practice sets. He's got to feel as comfortable as he could on this surface. So my expectations are still realistic, but I just think he wouldn't come back unless he felt it was go time. 100%. And yeah, as as you said, like looking looking at a couple of those pictures, I was like, wow, did, did Milos cut off like 25 pounds? Like he Big is time. looking 
really, really lean and probably in terms of sustaining his career for, say, two, three more years, something like that. If that's his goal, that's what he'll need to do. Uh, so I'm really excited to see how he fares in Hurtagenbosch, how he's looking. Uh, it starts with a match against Mio Mirkic Manovic. We also have the uh, uh, another event, Libima Oben. I believe Bianca Andrescu is opening with the tournament this week as well on the grass. So we'll see how that goes. She made the mixed doubles final, by the way, with Michael Venus. So great run for a couple Canadians in doubles when we didn't really deliver in singles. It's true. And and yeah, I just got to say that I am so stoked for this time of the season. I won't hide the fact that I'm a huge grass court tennis fan. And as Vivek said earlier, it's a short season, so we got to enjoy it while it's here. And, uh, you know, also got to mention quick before we wrap up, Gabby Dabrowski falling in women's doubles and mixed doubles at the hands of fellow Canadians. So that's kind yes. of an odd situation for her to find herself in. But she'll be back at it again and uh, at Wimbledon, one of the, the top seeds for sure in both those draws. And uh, anyways, Ben, I just can't wait for our grass court coverage. Looking forward to next week's ep- episode to start talking about who are the favorites on this surface and, uh, and, and what from our Canadians, you know, can we expect on this uh, surface? Absolutely. And we thank our, our guest this week, Vivek Jacob. Our thanks again to Hotel X. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.